Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and I've got a bit of a sore throat, but never mind, we'll soldier on. You're listening to My Time Capsule, the podcast where I talk to people about the five things from their life that they like to put in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish and would like to keep safe, and they pick one thing that they would like to bury and forget something they'd like to never think of again. And those are the things we talk about, and some other things. My guest in this episode is the actress Kerry Howard. Kerry is best known for her work in television. She began her career on stage, performing in productions like The Wizard of Oz and The Little Shop of Horrors. Her breakthrough role came in 2009, when she was cast as Laura in the BBC3 sitcom Him and Her with Russell Tovey, which ran for four seasons and is, in my humble opinion, the greatest comedy show of all time. Well, it's my favourite. The final series of Him and Her, Him and Her The Wedding, which followed her character Laura and her fiancé Paul as they prepared for their big day, is truly wonderful. Check it out if you haven't seen it. Kerry's also appeared in loads of other television shows, including Reggie Perrin, The Spa, Young Hyacinth, Two Pints of Lager and a Packet of Crisps, I Give It a Year, Witless, Murder in Successville, Judge Romesh, The Trouble with Maggie Cole, and Two Weeks to Live, as well as working with her brother, the comedian Russell Howard, on the Russell Howard Lubricant and Good News. In addition to her work in comedy, she's also appeared in more dramatic roles, including a guest appearance on the popular medical drama Holby City, and of course Doc Martin with her friend Martin Clunes. And she recently appeared at the National Theatre in London in Jack Absolute Flies Again, which she talks about in this podcast. In my opinion, Kerry has natural comic timing and the ability to bring depth and nuance to her characters, and she's regarded by many as one of the UK's most talented and versatile actresses. 
well, certainly by me. So here is Kerry Howard and the five things from her life she would choose, or in fact, as it turns out, I would choose to put in a time capsule. It's a bit different this episode, which is no bad thing. Have fun. <laughs> How are you? All right. I'm good. How are you? I'm very well, and I'm really delighted to see you. I've said this publicly a number of times that without a doubt, my favourite comedy of all time is Him and Her. Wow. And your performance in it is beyond belief. It's one of the greatest comedy performances I think there's ever been. Oh, shush, that's too much. No, it's not. I talked to Joe Wilkinson about it and said, do you think that for a while people thought she was like that? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, people in the street would come up to me and go, oh, my God, I want to punch you in the face. I hate you. I would just go, thank you. <laughs> because it was like, yeah, that's my job. That is my job to yeah. incite hate. But I loved Laura. Like, Laura was so full of so much pain that I mm -hmm. understood why she did those verbal stabs. It was all yeah. self-preservation. And they would go on. If they caught me in the street, they would just monologue about how awful my character was and I would start to feel quite upset on her behalf <laughs> you know she's human you know uh, Becky Teasdale when she was a child like because all these back, all these backstories that you have to fill in in order to justify why because you have to love your character yeah. so you have to kind of pathologically justify their behavior I've opened up all these doors and I'm like well that's why she does this because of that They're, it's okay, it's fine. Well, you can see that she's got no blame for herself at all in any of those situations. No, she's a narcissist. <laughs> <laughs> that last series of The Wedding was an amazing piece of writing. Yeah, and when I read those scripts, I was like, it's going to get a BAFTA. I knew there and then. I would walk to set and I would just go BAFTA, BAFTA, BAFTA. <laughs> and I knew I was going to get nominated, even though I was a nobody. Uh, him and her had been off the radar for all of the awards ceremony and it was the fourth series. But I just knew these scripts were so fantastic. And Stefan had written Laura in such a way, she almost had a redemption that I thought, wow, he's letting mm. me level up. And of course, I'm going to get nominated. <laughs> and then when I got nominated and I saw the list, I thought, Catherine Parkinson's going to win. And that was it. <laughs> you think, oh, they're so predictable, aren't they? <laughs> so easy to judge the judges. It is. And then Chris Sussman came up to me at Bafton and said it was between one vote. I was like, why would you say that? No. That's a real big spoiler. <laughs> But I think he was trying to make me feel better. Yeah. saying it was neck and neck, but I just wish uh, I didn't know. No, you'd rather think, well, there's no way I'm going to win. And these things are never yours to have. Like, that's the thing. It's like, if it's yours, it's yours. It's a free bar, nice food, yes. and you're in a room full of your heroes. So when, <clears throat> when I went to BAFTA, it was the equivalent of a year seven going to a sixth form ball. <laughs> it's very silly, isn't it? But it can happen. It can happen to anyone. Well, you never know. You just need the right role. A hundred percent. I think this is the only profession where the career doesn't give up on you. You give up on the career. Yeah, very good. When did I do that? When did you give up? <laughs> I have not given up. I'm not given up. I still think that somebody's going to notice. That's what keeps actors young, I think, is that hopefulness and always making new connections. It's good for the brain. And the thing of being willing to learn. Yeah. I love that when you come across a young actor who does something and you think, 
Wow, that's great. Oh, God, why don't I do that? And then you nick it. You nick it, yeah, absolutely. And claim you've always done it. Always done it, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that's me. Well, we are supposed to be talking about things that you want to put into a time capsule from your life, but I think we're going to wing it a bit, aren't we? Well, like, the thing is, like, when you asked me to do this, I suddenly sort of was, you feel apprehensive and nervous because I feel like, well, I haven't done enough. I haven't done enough in my life to warrant a time capsule right now. I feel like I need to do that when I'm 80. (laughs) It's the same kind of feeling of like when I have to do these online dating bios and suddenly you have to write out your personality and your hobbies. And then I'm like, I don't have any hobbies (laughs) and therefore I don't have a personality. And I have this existential crisis that like I'm nothing. So I've like overthink these things a bit too much and think, oh God, what are people going to think about me? I'm, I'm... So, yeah. Yeah, no, so better that it's instinctive, I think, that it comes out of conversation. Exactly. And then also you don't have to do any homework. Well, that's what I'm all about. (laughs) I read my sides on the day and I'm like, yep, got it. Here we go. Instincts. Too much time. Although there's a whole generation of us all vicariously feeling we're keeping fit by watching you do pull-ups every day. Oh, yeah. That helps my mental health. Like, I have to do that. But also, Mm. I'm in training to be an action hero. It's going to happen. When I first... I got my first agent when I was 27. So I was late to the game. And she asked me what I wanted to to do. And And I was like, I want to be an action hero. So she laughed, like you just did then. <laughs> She's like, uh, right, okay. <laughs> I'm only laughing at the boldness of it. And it's so specific. It's very specific. And I don't understand. And I'm not even, I wasn't even sporty. I've never been um, like athletically gifted. It's not until as I've gotten older, the years of like doing like exercises that I've actually got muscles. But yeah, I quite like the idea of being a middle-aged action hero. I feel like there's there's not many people who's going to compete against me. So I I think I could break through. Yeah. When I'm 70, like it's absolutely going to happen. And like you say, that whole thing of doing those things and then feeling better because of it. Well, this is the thing. And as you know, as an actor, we have a lot of free time on our hands sometimes. So your daily life in real life has to count and you have to do little things to make you feel good. Otherwise, like when I was younger, if I didn't have a job, I didn't exist and I was pointless and I'd go and have deep depression. And then my kids came along and saved my life because they made me busy. That's the key to happiness is just doing things. And it's not the end result. It's the process of being busy and feeling like you're contributing, whether that's bringing up kids or having a job or going to the gym or whatever. As long as you're doing something, you feel proactive. You feel a part of something. It's when you have that disassociation where you don't participate that you can start getting a bit too lofty and stardusty and go, I don't exist. (laughs) The whole walls, like it just falls down. It all falls down. I know. Although it's funny, as you get older, you find that actually you can fill a day with something really simple. You know, like I took the bins out. Oh, yeah, that breaks my day up at the moment. I boiled my <laughs> mum's uh, eggs this lunchtime. So I was like, oh, I've, I've done a good deed today. Oh, yeah. And I put the recycling out. So I was like, winning. My day is absolutely rammed. Please don't ask me to go for lunch. I'm far too busy. Yeah. <laughs> I do like a potter at home. And when I kind of get that call, like, I've got to go to London tomorrow to do um, Celebrity Pointless. I don't know why they're asking me back. It's the third time and I'm terrible. But they keep asking me back. <laughs> they do need 
some people to lose. They do. They're like, Kerry's a fantastic loser. Do you know, she always does the most obvious answer. Yes, she's terribly thick. <laughs> when you go up, you find that everybody else's podium is, is sort of stuck into place and yours is still loose. Oh, she's made her own podium. Oh, crust. <laughs> Fun, though. Yeah, I'm doing it with my mate, Olivia Lee. I mean, to be paid to hang out with a mate, it's a joy, isn't it? There are moments where you're like, oh, I've got a lovely life, really. I know. I know, and they've got those new... Um, Alexander's got new presenters with him now. You, do you know who it's going to be? No, I didn't know. I, a format change? What? Richard Osmond, I think, has decided to move on. Well, I've done his show, House of Games. Oh, yeah. And I did very badly on that. Oh, do you know, I don't know if I'd have the nerve to go on. Well, I'm dyslexic, so it's like, that doesn't work anyway. Oh, that's not going to work. They're not built for neurodiverse people at all. Joe Suggs was a savant. He like literally was winning every single game and Richard Osman was like I I think you should like maybe not win every game let them answer some but he obviously has that competitive edge and it's when you meet people like that you go why are you successful and then you see their brains and you go that's why you are another level genius and it's quite yeah. interesting obviously your brain doesn't see those oh I see that word combined with that word becomes those words or it's start with that one and end with that one. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And if your brain doesn't work that way, that programme is a disaster. It's hideous. Yeah, it's hideous. <laughs> but it was a couple of grand. Mummy's <laughs> going to do it. Don't give away the secrets. Everybody thinks you do it for the fun of it. No, always for the paycheck. <sighs> yep, and all done in a day. <laughs> exactly. I mean, what's <laughs> lovely is I get home tomorrow. Uh, I leave before the school run, but I get home for bedtime. So that's like a perfect day, really. Well, that's brilliant. That's quick. Yeah, and I live in Bath, so it is the quick turnaround. Oh, lovely. Bath. Bath, Bristol. I'm tempted between the two. I like... I think if I had to choose a city to live in, I'd go for Bristol. Yeah, yeah, especially if you... Are you near London still? Are you in London? Uh, I am. I'm Tunbridge Wells down in Kent, so a town. You get that sort of city life. You can easily get into London. So I think, yeah, Bristol is cool. Clifton's beautiful. My uh, twin brother lives near Clifton and he, he likes it there. It's got a verve about it, but it's not too intense. So is that your roots as well down there? Yeah, so I live in a village now that's 10 minutes from like all my cousins and all my aunties and uncles. So I've literally gone back home, which is quite nice. Yeah, nice. There's a hairdresser called Rascals. Though in my brain, when I see it, I think slags. And I'm just like, I don't know why. I don't know why. But like every time my mum's like, oh, you're going to go get your hair cut. Where are you going? I went, slags. And she's like, well, it's not called slags, but it's something like slags. And then like eventually I go, oh, it's rascals. I think there should be a hairdresser called slags. I'm never going to say the word rascal again without thinking slag. You little rascal, slag. <laughs> but then it's interesting, isn't it? Because you talk about being an actor, having time on your hands. It's important, I think, to have somebody or someone nearby that if you go, do you know what, I really am fed up with being on my own. Yeah. You can just get them. You can go to them. Yeah. So it's a good move, I think. It is a good move. Like, I live with my parents, so it's kind of like, so I'm a single mum, I've got two boys, five and eight, Wes and Cal, yeah. and I'm in the attic, an attic annex. Mm -hmm. My kitchen door opens into this little snug secret lounge and then it goes into the main house of my parents. But we always eat together and things like that. Oh, how lovely. Yeah, it, and it's the coronavirus. It wouldn't have happened without that. Well, you decided to move in then, did you? 
Well, we didn't have this property. So I just, because um, I, I, I was living with my parents in Bath, I gathered myself back together after two years from my divorce, bought my own property in Bath and then moved in. And then literally the next day, COVID hit. And <laughs> even though I was a mile away from my family, my mum and dad, they weren't allowed to see the boys. Well, they'd been seeing the boys every single day. So my dad got really depressed and was in turmoil about it. And then he knew that there was going to be a second wave before Christmas and was just ever the hopeful um, father in, in me was like, well, you're an actor, you're screwed. So what you're going to do is you're going to rent your house out and you're going to move in with us. We're selling ours and we're going to buy a bigger house. So we'll all be together. I was like, okay. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. What a lovely idea. Why didn't I do that? And, and weirdly, like my twin brother, he then moved in with us because he was on his own. And we were like, no, nobody be on their own for this. Because, you know, the first lockdown was like the unknown. And the second lockdown, we kind of got a bit more savvy yeah. and, and created little like villages like, come, come live with us. Yeah, let's gather. Let's gather and support each other. Yeah. Brilliant idea. And as a single parent, you're looking at the situation where you're going to need that sort of help, particularly as an actress. You need that, I need it now. I've got to go tomorrow. 100%. And I wanted Mm. the boys to be the leads in their life. I didn't want them to be um, in the wings of my life. Now, if I get a job, their routine does not change. The primary school is over the road. and My mum just picks them up and they still do all their clubs and all of that. So that's for me, was the most important thing about moving back to the West Country was making them feel that they are important and that my work is a sideline. Mm-hmm. I'm a mum to them. Yeah, it works beautifully. And from the grandparent point of view, which would be my point of view, that was the thing that I missed the, absolutely the most mm. during COVID. Nothing else particularly. Socialising parties, any of that, I thought that's fine. I mean, I know that prime ministers need to do those sort of things. but Yeah, that's you know, imperative. Yeah, that's, that's imperative, but not me. But the thing I really missed was seeing my grandchildren regularly, in the flesh, hugging them. I see it now through my kids, how tactile they are. And then I see it with when Russell and Daniel come to the house and they're not tactile because we're grown-ups and we don't hug and we're in our own little bubble. But younger people, they're just open and it's they're like puppies. You get that <laughs> lovely joy. And when you open the door, they run to you and they greet you. And that, oh my God, my heart explodes. But I open the door to my brothers and it's like, Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's just normal adults. We just get used to each other. With children, they're just like gleeful puppies. And it is, yeah, of course you'd miss that. Yeah. And of course, not doing that means that eventually when the time comes when you really ought to do it, mm. you sort of don't. Would it be a bit weird if like your wife walked in now and you're like, ah! <laughs> every single time? Oh, no, that's how I react to my wife. <laughs> oh, it's it? All the time. She very rarely comes in the same room with me. Very rarely. <laughs> but you do. You just get so used to each other and yeah. forget those little sort of like niceties. We all need to be a bit nice to each other. Even just listening to each other. Yeah. Listen without prejudice. That is really hard. Because you, as an adult, you, you're collecting more and more chips on your shoulder. So it's cluttered. So when someone's talking to you, sometimes all you want to hear is the hurt. Yeah. And you're not hearing what they're trying to actually talk about. No, you're filtering it. Yeah. You're collecting the bones to go, well, this is yeah. why my life's awful. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, sometimes. Sometimes. No, but I think we're all guilty of it. Mm. I think you're right. I'm going to pick things from what you talk about. Okay. And we're going to put them in the time capsule. Do you know what I'm going to put in? Oh. I'm going to put your snug in. Put the 
snugging. Oh, I love the snug. Yeah, the snug is my favourite. Yes. Oh, my God. You're so good. <laughs> no, I just think it encapsulates all those things. It encapsulates where you live and the surrounding area and your parents being close by and your children and also now your independence but with other people that you can rely on. A hundred percent. And I think if you haven't got your own metaphorical snug in your life and you're a freelance musician, actor or whatever, I think if you're reliant on that impermanent lifestyle, things will fall apart and you'll struggle with your mental health. But if you've got your snug, your normal rock that you can rely on, whatever, the highs and lows, it doesn't really affect you because the snug's more important. Yeah. That's what I quite like about my family. Like, I will come in, like, I, I, I had a very exciting audition the other day and I told my twin about it. And I was like, you know, because it's quite action-y. And I was like, he'll be really cool. And he went, oh, yeah, or you could just join the Navy. <laughs> You said, I can't be an action hero in the Navy. I need a cloak. But I like that he's like, well, it's more likely for me to join the Navy at 40 than it is to be doing a job that I've been doing for the last, like, 15 years. No, 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 join the Navy. Thanks for the advice. Exactly. But it's just, I think if you have a lot of um, sycophants around you that are, like, constantly blowing air up your ass, it's not good for you at all. No. I love the way you talk so openly about the ups and downs of life. Well, I think when you've been through a war, and everyone has, that it, it's, it makes you just realise that you just want to share. And, but here's the thing. So when I was younger, this will probably go in my time capsule, my twin was, was teased a lot. Um, all of a sudden he got epilepsy and we were year seven and we were the twins. We were really popular. And then Daniel got epilepsy and suddenly... The tides changed and he was bullied. And so then we weren't popular because I stood up for him and blah, blah, blah. And so then I found myself being bait and I had to then develop a personality. Whilst before I just relied on being popular because I was given that. And so then if I found myself being too big for my boots, then I suddenly had to be self-deprecating of like, because I felt I could feel the bullies swarming in. So I would constantly go, but I'm actually, you know, I'm disgusting really, so don't worry. (laughs) I'm the same as you. We're all disgusting. It's great. (laughs) So I think it's a defence mechanism. I've always done it. I've always, like, if someone gives me a compliment, I've always just gone, yeah, well, you know, you're pretty too. And just deflection. Mm-hmm. Because if it's too much, you feel that people will turn against you. Well, that's not necessarily true. I mean, maybe they would have done, but in your circumstances and the situation you were in, yes, that is true. Mm. But actually, some people breeze through life just going, I'm great, I'm having a great time, come with me. Yeah. You know? And they get away with it. I had that moment on stage this summer because I had to play a character that had to be that outrageous that I couldn't let any sort of self-deprecating in. I had to really kick them in the balls when I walked on stage, (laughs) which was fun and really intoxicating. But Was that at the National? Yeah. And I'd never done any professional play before in my life. Wow, your first one is the National. On the Olivier stage. Oh, my God. Like, ridiculous. <laughs> I was so naughty because I'd walk past... There's a big picture of Laurence Olivier in backstage. You know of this. Yeah. And I would walk past it 
being me, just going, (laughs) swearing at his face. I bet you're a wrong'un. I bet you did some stuff. Because there was no rules back then. We don't know the history. There's a fantastic, if you ever go backstage at the Old Vic, there's a fantastic photograph of Olivier rehearsing with a company. And everybody's standing around in suits and smoking cigarettes and all looking very calm up in the top room of the Old Vic. Uh, rehearsing some sort of Shakespearean play, and standing in the middle of them is a man dressed in full Greek costume with a helmet with horns on it. It's completely bizarre. To me, it sums up the brilliance of rehearsals, but also the absurdity of it. Yeah, or it was just like in method, one of those actors. Yeah, I need to be in full costume to play the part. Yeah. I can't play third guard without the helmet. Or you go to the canteen and they still want to talk about their character and you're like, oh, tell me about your life, who you are, but I don't want to know about your process. I don't want to know about anyone's process. Do you? I will put up with it for a bit. Should we just say the lines and see what happens? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, this is the thing, because I'm used to screen work, so you don't really get rehearsal. you kind of got to do your homework separately and then you take notes from brilliant directors and you just go on instincts and if it works, it doesn't. But I know that they protect me and they will get the best cut. And when they say cut, moving on, I've done my job. I don't know what right. I have done that was right, but they've, they've got it and it doesn't matter. And it's fixable. It's always fixable. <laughs> but with a the theatre... Six weeks rehearsal. Mate, you can do it in three. Hit your mark. (laughs) A lot of talking. And with that talking becomes paranoia, neurosis. And I felt like the longer we were in the room, the interrelationships that were happening, the falling in and falling out, it got exasperated. And I was like, if it's shorter time, none of that toxic codependency can happen. I think with screen work, you can dip in, but you go back to your home, your people. But with theatre, it just, it becomes like Big Brother. And you go out with these people and you're like, but you spend all day with them. But no, we've got to go to drinks afterwards. And I just found it quite interesting. I was sucked along the journey of it completely. Mm. But then I just felt, right now, because my kids are too young, but... I think it's going to take me a, a good five years to even think about doing theatre just because of the culture of it. I loved being on stage, loved that. It was the big brother aspect of it. I found a bit like... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, that's true. You can become too much in each other's pockets. And I always think with those long rehearsal periods, which the big theatres do have, the RSC and, you know, RSC can be nine weeks sometimes. And I've spent for the first three weeks talking about the script without reading it. Yeah. And you go, well, let's read it. I also think that you can go through that process with rehearsals where they say, yeah, try it another way. And you go, but this is the way I like it. Yeah. And then you explore all those possibilities that actually it leaves you very little to do during the run. Exactly. And you find things like I found things in the run that um, Lucy had a a funny twitch with her arm. And I found myself like I knew that I was doing it on stage. And then I found myself doing it in the day going, why am I suddenly Suddenly my arms moving? I was getting haunted by her. And then I knew that I was in the character. I was like, oh, she's now it's now it was an organic thing. I didn't need to verbalize that or find it with everyone. It was just like a personal thing. And it's quite cool. But yeah, I I found it like, it's so indirect sometimes with theatre directors. It's very, and it's very sort of like, let's be careful of people's feelings. And I I, I guess because you're working with screen directors, they're just to the point. Yeah. You know, there's a wrong and the right. 
there. It's just, it doesn't happen in the theatre. No, people say, well, how, how do you feel that you might say that? When, in fact, you can tell that a director is going, oh, there's a way I really want you to do it and that's the way I want it done. But they won't tell you. No, because they, they have to allow you to find it. And I just think, mm-hmm. no, just tell me. Well, there you are. You see, we've done too much telly, too much quick work. Yeah. I'm able to find a reason for doing it. If you tell me what it is, I'll find a reason. Yeah, I'll yeah. justify it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, difficult as well, isn't it? Also, you would think that a rehearsal situation would be the moment where you would take the sort of risks that might, in another situation, seem offensive. It's a situation where you should be developing trust in each other. Yes. Not in a way limiting people. No, and kind of like, for me, it was a lot of verbal masturbation. Everyone was trying to outsmart each other. And for me, that's not a creative environment. It's like, let's just be a bit more, let's actually take the text, stand up, play out the scenes in numerous different ways, do it completely wrong. Let's do it really wrong, but have the text and then find things. And it was a comedy. So for me, I was like, Halfway in, I was like, well, I don't have a means test because I have no audience and I'm doing the same gags to a wall. My character has direct address. I had three direct addresses. So I needed that audience to start like living. And obviously when the previews started, then it was like. Bang. Yeah. Because I was dying on my ass in rehearsals. <laughs> if we're all doing our jobs excellently, surely that's the goal. If I'm doing something funny and somebody else does something funnier, that wins. You go, but hang on a minute, I might try this then. Yeah. And then that's good. That's developing it. And then you come off stage and you hug each other. You congratulate people. That was great. Yeah. Oh, that was funny. That got an enormous laugh. Yeah. That's the thing living, I think. That's the thing that keeps you going. If you're going to do a long run, you've got to do it night after night, day after day. It can be difficult. What's your longest ever run that you've done? Uh, seven months. How did you cope with that? And it's the same people or? Luckily, it changed a bit. So, we, you know, the performance has changed. It developed. Yeah, no, it was it was an interesting process because I sort of started off in a nice part, but it was just a good comic part in this play and then got moved into another part that was a bigger part, and got a nice comic part, and then ended up playing the lead in it. Oh, that's nice. I got promoted. That never happens. That's brilliant. <laughs> I was the only person who had staying power. <laughs> yeah, like, I won't give up until I'm the lead, and everyone's dead. Yes. OK, this is now a one-man show. How did you get promoted? <laughs> did you have, like, hemlock in your pocket? Everybody else felt strangely ill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, I hope you're having fun. At this end, my voice is holding out, and this episode is sorting itself out very nicely, I think. The sound isn't perfect, but then what is? Apart from my interval links into the ads, of which this is one. So, here are the ads. (laughs) You see? Flawless. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to the second half of My Time Capsule with the actor Kerry Howard. Let's find out what else she, well, I will pick from the things she talks about to go into her time capsule. Oh, the power. Thank goodness it hasn't gone to my head. Now, where's my coffee butler? I'm not picking my own mug up. <laughs> Don't they know who I am? Do you know my daughter was at school and fact did a school play with Ollie Chris? Oh, no way! Yeah. He is brilliant. He's mad, but brilliant. <laughs> yeah, great. He's very creative. And the thing is, he's not just an actor. And I say that sounds really derogative to other actors, but, like, I'm not just an actor because I want to write. And I think comedic performers are more than just acting. Like, we want to um, express ourselves or whatever, like, and be outrageous. Like, you can... Sometimes when I I dabble in doing, like, straight um, acting, which is quite fun to do sometimes, but then I'll do it and I'll be like... It's a bit easy. Because you just have to learn your lines and tell the truth. Like, for a dramatic actor, that's the golden rules. Mm-hmm. It's the same with comedy, but you've also got to add in something else that's a little bit wild. And I quite like being that grotesque and, like, a fool. And it doesn't matter what you look like. It's so joyful. Um, <laughs> it's really... I've, I've lost my tangent. Oh, Ollie Chris. But he's he's like that. He could have easily just gone down that sort of, like play the face mm-hmm. when you talk to him he's so full of knowledge and passion he really loves theater i love it but i don't i don't feel like i qualify to go i'm a you know a theater actor i still feel very like uh, a novice of it i love it but i'm a whore of it because <laughs> all i care about is the audience and once i'm on the, out there on the stage there's um Rasa, there's the energy between the audience and the performer. And I've always loved that. Like, for me, that is above everything. And if you're having a bad night, it's not the audience's fault. I hate it when I hear actors go, it's a bad audience. No, it's not a bad audience. We're doing a bad job. That's all it is. And we need to bend our ear, listen to them, feel them, and maybe they want to be a bit more entertained. And maybe we need to get out of our own arses and listen. Yeah, adapt. If what you're doing is not what they want, then do something else. Yeah. Try and find out what it is. Uh, it's an extraordinary idea, isn't it? And it's it's a very common expression. No, oh, it's a bad audience tonight amongst actors. But the idea that a 1,000 people or the Olivier, what, 1,500 people would all turn up and all be in exactly the same mood? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's preposterous. So you just have to kind of go, look. And then there's people like comedy snobs like, well, I like comedy that's very specific and very clever. And you're like, well, only five people out of a 1,000 think that's funny. So for me... <sighs> That's not funny. 
But then people are like, well, it's bold because I'm not going to be swayed and told what's funny. It's very clever comedy because nobody laughs at it. Yes, very clever. Yeah. See, that's what's clever about it. I could make it funny. <laughs> no. No, no. But this is what you do. As you get a bit older, I think instead of people pleasing one person, I'm, I'm more about people pleasing the audience now. Yeah. But interesting, isn't it? Because in a way you've made your name doing performances where you wouldn't have the audience judging it. You would have to judge it yourself and say, well, I'm confident that when people see this, they will laugh. Yeah. And so you do have the skill to do it to a brick wall. Yeah, yeah. That's true. That is true. Mm. Yeah. That's so fun. That's interesting to bring up the brick wall again because I saw Sinead Matthews. She's a brilliant actress. And she saw me... Uh, probably about 20 years ago, performing in The Hen and Chickens in Highbury and Islington, breathing corpses for free, like it was on for a week, but it was like, I'll do free theatre, like anything to get like someone to pick me or whatever. And she saw me look <laughs> into a brick wall, um, but it had to be a window and I had to see a car, but the wall was like there. <laughs> it's like a little tiny box theatre. There's only like 30 seats. And she came to me afterwards and I knew she was an actress then because I was like, oh, Sinead Matthews. And she walked up to me and she was just like, I saw what you saw. That was incredible. I've never seen an actor do that before. And then I saw her last week because we went to see um, my friend Juliette Cowan's brilliant play um, at Hampstead Heath. She was amazing. And Sinead was there. She went, do you remember? And I was like, yes. You helped me keep going because at that point I'd just been fired from a sketch show called Umbrella Birds. Mm -hmm. And we were about to film a first series on Radio 4 with Hattrick. And I just got fired and I was literally about to go do you know what the universe doesn't want me I'm giving up I'm giving up and then Sinead coming up to me and being an actress qualifying and just saying I believed you yeah and that kind of gave me that courage of going blind faith just keep going and and then about a month later I got Reggie Perrin and that was it with Martin Clunes with Martin Clunes lovely Again, it was a lovely full circle moment because then Martin came to see um, Jack Absolute and I didn't realise he was coming and I hadn't seen him for years. Well, of course, he's big friends of uh, Caroline. Well, yeah, so he came to support Caroline. <laughs> I came out stage and I saw him and I was like, oh, he's big and lovely. And he gave me a big bear hug and he went, you had them in the palm of your hands, didn't you? <laughs> oh, see, what a great compliment. I mean, huge. And I was just like, oh. I've just got to get my train to Bath now. Bye. Oh, <laughs> like, I didn't brilliant. know quite what to say, but it was like, oh, wow. Those things are extraordinary, aren't they? Those moments. They do live with you and they, they really mean something. And I think it's, it's great. I mean, I know actors are famous for apparently lying to each other and saying, oh, darling, you were marvellous. Yeah. But things like that, that shows knowledge. You had them in the palm of your hands. Yeah. You know what he's saying and you're delighted that he saw it. Yeah, because he said, and you didn't do any of your silly tricks that you used to do. And I was like, mm. what tricks? So he's like, you know, <laughs> pulling those faces. I was like, oh, <laughs> yes, baby. Brilliant. Yeah, so he had yes. me, schooled me and gave me a big compliment and, and then said that he was really proud of me. It was almost like my dad, my, my theatre, my actor dad, because he was the first 
but it was so funny when my mum met Martin in the green room because I was I'd go back home and I'd be like Martin's this Martin's that I was like in love with him and my mum would be like she met him for the first time and she's like just under five foot so tiny she's like looking at him like this she went oh Martin oh my daughter she looks at you like a father brother son because she could see that his face was like I'm too old to be a father she just kept <laughs> and it was so funny he was, he was very oh, kind brilliant. yeah yeah I had some great fun times with Martin when we were younger I bet he's wild <laughs> we like going to the pub quite a lot yeah he's a lovely man well, how lovely. Well, I'm definitely going to put him. I'm going to put that bear hug in. Put that That's bear it. hug. But I'm also going to put your twin in. <laughs> OK. Because in a way, that whole situation, him developing epilepsy, that leads you to being the person that you are. When life is going along and everything's smooth and fine and it's just, I'm just popular. Yeah. Life seems easy, but to face adversity and bullying and mm. having to, again, that thing of developing adaptability to the situation. That stands you in good stead for the rest of your life, I think. Yeah. You're very so good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm listening. Yeah. Of course I'm listening. It's fascinating. When I see Martin, I would tell him how important those things are and well done. Huge, huge. Because he doesn't, that's the thing. Those type, They don't have to say those things, but they're compelled to say those things because you've moved them and that's it. Mm. People know when you're giving them a compliment and you're just being nice. Yeah. Yeah, they do. I've been a victim of it. Like when I've done, I was like, "Hey, you were great," and then you, <laughs> and then you can't develop on that because you're lying. <laughs> because if it's genuinely like you were great, because that bit that you did, and you start going in with them. But yeah, when it's like you were great. I had a friend whose answer to that problem was always when he saw people, he would point at them, and go, "Oh, you." You! <laughs> That's all we That's do. That's good when you've forgotten their names as well. <laughs> or you just go in, the set was wonderful. <laughs> really passive-aggressive. Yes, I like the set more than I like the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who did the lighting? The lighting was amazing, <laughs> especially when it went off. <laughs> Oh, dear. That's the difficulties of going backstage and seeing friends in a play. Yes. We've all suffered that. Yeah. Okay, we're doing well. We just need to find two more things to put in. One that you want to put in there because you treasure it and one that you want to put in there because you'd like to forget it. Oh, oh, Christ. There's so many things that I want to forget. Like all my GCSE exams. (laughs) Horrific. But probably, like, being a mum, that's probably such a cliche, isn't it? No. But because also it kind of put me, it sorted me right out, really. And it's just, I've got a reason to live, uh, a reason to work, and it's not about vanity anymore. And that's what I love. I love my kids for that. They've saved me completely and they keep me present in the moment. And they they make me learn. Like my oldest boy, Wesley, is obsessed with space travel. So I now know that Saturn has 53 moons. And that's Wesley <laughs> teaching me that. Whilst before I wasn't really in, I'm not in like, bothered about the universe but now because i know that it lights up his face i'm like trying to find any knowledge or like we're going to go to the planetarium let's do this was before i didn't care yeah it's a strange thing isn't it when suddenly and it often happens almost the moment that you have the child that you suddenly realize that you're not any longer the most important thing in your life yeah 
But it's also watching them become their little people. You can actually see when their brain is on fire and they've learned something. Mm. That is so intoxicating and exciting because you just go, oh my God, they like, they love learning. <laughs> and they both my boys have that. And for me, I'm like, God, that's a superpower. I've been able to encourage them to find joy in education. Mm. That is something that I didn't have when I was younger because I, I was told by my brothers and also because I was dyslexic that I was stupid. So I always was like, I had my own internal walls up. But with the boys, I was just like, nope, never put, even if they can't do something straight away, never give them a limitation. We just keep going again. It's practice. Mm. With dyslexia, you would have discovered that. Yeah. You would have found that, okay, well, other people just pick up a book and read it. Yeah. And then also they seem to just bloody remember it straight away. How annoying is that? Yeah. But you can do it. Totally. And over time, like, I've got quick memory, but that's because of my work. It's all about quick memory. Mm. So I can do a side in 20 minutes and then go... And because of repetition, you do it again and again. It gets by the, by the third take, you're like, boom. But I haven't got long-term memory. My long-term memory is awful. That's why I was like, when you asked me to do the time capsule, that was another one of my paranoias, because I was like, I've forgotten my whole life. <laughs> I don't know what it was. It's a black hole. Hang on a minute. I'll look up my name. Yeah. I'll Google it. I'll Google it. What have I done? <laughs> oh, I know what I would want to go into, um, the capsule of regret. Um, I ha uh, I did so many jobs in the beginning of my career because I was grateful for work. One of them was a pilot for an advert. So it wasn't even an advert. It was a pilot for an advert. That's how low I was down. And I had to wear a swimming costume and it was October and I had to be in a vat of chocolate <laughs> in a supermarket car park. Oh my God. I believe it was Kit Kat. Suffice to say, they made the advert, but I didn't make it. So... <laughs> We don't want the shivering girl. You don't want the shivering girl. She ate most of the chocolate. She ate most of the chocolate. So by the end of the ad, half the tub had disappeared. What's wrong with her? There was just, there was, it was, A, it wasn't funny. So that was like the cringe moment. And, and B, it wasn't selling the chocolate because it was ugly. When you put brown liquid on a human, that's not fun. <laughs> You're not going to go, hmm, thinking about it, I really must buy a Kit Kat. Yeah, because it just looked like purified shit. <laughs> a woman bathing in her own shit always makes me think of chocolate. Yeah, yes. yummy. Yeah, <laughs> awful. Oh, that's terrible. Really cringe. And like, if I could go back, and there's so many of those sort of like awful jobs that I was like, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'm green, I'm green. I even have to, to now sort of like tell myself, it's okay to say no, Kerry. You know, it's all right. Because I still have that intuition to just say yes. Yes. The problem is, Kerry, that somewhere somebody will find that now. Oh, it's somewhere. Uh, it's somewhere. These things exist forever. You know, although I did do an advert for Dustbusters where when I auditioned for it, I thought, oh, this is funny. This is quite funny. I can see how this is going to work. Yeah. Yeah. We're sort of sending up these sort of adverts. And then when I got there, the director said, oh, you seem to be sort of like giving knowing looks to the camera, Mike. And I went, well, that's what I did at the audition. Surely that's what you want. And he said, no, 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 you really love this Dustbuster. <laughs> I thought, oh, shit. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yes. It was probably good money back in them days. It was good money. But 
I still had everybody I know saying to me, what the fuck is that advert? <laughs> you look like a complete idiot. And you go, look at my car. I say 20 grand, yeah. 20 grand. There you go, there you go, that's it. <laughs> that was the shocking thing when I did the theatre because I was like, oh, it's May till um, September. That's going to be a nice bit of bunts. And then <laughs> when my agent told me how much you guys get a week, I was like, what? Uh. <laughs> no, 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 no. I have to travel back and forth on the train. It would cost me more. Yeah. And then they only get, well, me and, because Kelvin was from Macclesfield and I was from the West Country. So we got £188 a week for travel. Well, that's like two days travel. I mean, I did the daily commute because I just wanted to see the boys in the morning. Of course, yeah. You do what you need to do. But yeah, it just shocked me. And then everyone's like, well, it's the national. You're not going to turn it down. And it's like, you are literally paying money to be an actor. But then we got the NT live and then that made it a little bit like doable. Oh, right. That really has made a difference, has it? Well, yeah, because it it basically, it doubled. So the paycheck was like, not so good. And and I was just about breaking even mm. because I managed to get some digs where they didn't charge me. They just let me stay, which was really nice. And then we got the NT live contract through, which was basically the whole contract paid again. Amazing. So I was like, oh, actually, that's not so bad. I'm a screen actor and I've been spoiled because, like, you turn up, they feed you, they give you a hotel, they everything, you're looked after. That is take-home pay, but then when you take that home, you then send 15% of it to your agent. Yeah. You pay for an accountant. Yeah. You pay the tax on it. You pay all your expenses out of it. And so the chances are you're ending up actually earning about £250 a week. Yeah. Mm. How do you do it? How do, Well, obviously, people manage, but, like... You, yeah. It's really tough. Equity are running a campaign at the moment where people are saying, you know, we really have to look out for people in those sort of roles that are absolutely vital in every show, but they are the supporting roles, really. You know, yeah. The swings in musicals and things who work incredibly hard. Yeah, and it's brutal. Like the understudies, because they had their understudies showcase, like the run, oh. but it was like a closed event. It wasn't even open to the public. And I just oh. thought... Out of all those shows that we do, we, there should be in the programme that they get a go properly, like at least five goes over the run, and you mm-hmm. say, understudy run, and you charge people £10. At the RSC, they do that. They do one understudy run. So you will get to perform it in a public arena. As I saw um, Catherine Parkinson was playing uh, at the National. It was a Shakespeare, Much Ado About Nothing, last summer. And I think there was about three theatres running Much Ado About Nothing at the same time, which was a huge cock-up. I mean, don't they talk to each other? (laughs) I think they see what's on the syllabus at school. Yeah, because the Globe was doing Much Ado. So, you know, if you're an American, you're going to want to go to the Globe, not the National. I just think the National could win every time by saying, we've got padded seats. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I remember when I was going through a divorce, I was like ranting and raving, going, well, I'm going to be at the National. Ridiculous. But I just kept saying, I'm going to be at the National and I'm I'm going to be on a bus. I'm going to be on a bus. And he's going to walk past me and he's going to see my face and I'm going to be on a bus. With a cloak and a superpower. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And... 
I didn't put the play and the bus together because in my head I kept saying I'm going to be on a bus and that was going to be a TV show, like a sky show. That was what I was manifesting. And then I got this job out of the blue because the director, Emily Burns, lovely Emily Burns, was a fan of a sketch I did years ago called Rude to Sandra, which was a pilot that I made, Kerry, on BBC Three. But one of the takeaway characters went a little bit viral and has its own kind of scene in New York. Like, there's people that are obsessed with Rude to Sandra. She's bullshit. And Emily was obsessed with it. And Lisa McGrillis was originally in Jack Absolute before COVID. So they started before COVID and then COVID hit and all the actors were sent home. Lisa lived her life, got pregnant and then was like, I can't do this anymore. And I remember being at a party with her. And she's like, I've just had to turn down a job and it was brilliant. It was at the National. It was so good. And I was like, oh, babe. And then I remember, <laughs> I know. And then I remember going up for the audition. You immediately left the room and got your mobile out. Yeah. No, 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 not even that. Because in my brain, I'm like, you don't belong in the theatre. This is not your world. Ah, and then you remembered. I'm going to be at the National. I'm going to be the National. I kept saying, I'm going to be the National. And then I got a call and, and then I did the audition. I got a call back and, I, and then it wasn't till I did the call back with Kelvin Fletcher that I walked out of the room and then suddenly I had like a flashback to Lisa going, oh, but I haven't got the job anymore. And I thought, oh, she was Lucy. Of course she was Lucy because she's brilliant and I'm the only one that can take that mantle. <laughs> <laughs> And I texted her straight away when I found out that I got it. And I just said, I hope you know, but I've got your part. And she was so beautiful. She was like, I'm so glad you have it. And like, that's the gift of actors who like each other. It's like, you know that you can pass it on and, and want them to win. And that's like, I love that I've got a lovely community of friends that are just like, we're all cheering each other on from the sides. Yeah, yeah, because everybody knows it looks easy from outside, but actually from within, it's not easy. Yeah. And I can't wait to see you being pull-up woman. Yeah. Pull-up woman. She could do more pull-ups than anybody else. Oh, my God. Look at this. Is it 50? Is it 60? No, she's still going. <laughs> That's going to be you. My son's, because um, I've got to 10 um, at Christmas. I know, I watch. Yeah. I think lots of people do. Really? We'll, yeah. Mad. And i tell you what's the joy of it, is we all go, come on, come on, <laughs> come on, you can do 10. When you did 10 the first time, I think lots of people went, yeah, well done, <laughs> Kerry. I'm training yeah, honestly. To, for the gladiators, because I, I heard a rumour that it might come back. I was like, I used to love the gladiators. This is where you heard it first, everyone. Mm. Well, the last two things we're going to put in there, obviously, we're going to put you in a large pile of what looks like shit. Shit. Doing a Kit Kat advert. Yeah. 50 quid. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, it was one of those, like, I was doing a, a favour to a producer friend job. And, <laughs> and it was like, if you do this, then we'll talk about that script development idea that you have. Nothing ever came of it. But to counterbalance that, the last thing we're going to put into your treasure, obviously, will be your boys. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. But a bit, like, cringeworthy at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we're actors. We're bound to be cringeworthy. Exactly. Oh, my God. <laughs> Kerry, how lovely. Lovely to meet one of my all-time heroes. Stop it. I mean, I grew up watching you. You were the one. <laughs> <laughs> You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my lovely guest, Kerry Howard. 
I hope you enjoyed this and maybe the many other episodes we have available for your listening pleasure. We'd appreciate it if you'd rate this podcast, which is really easy, actually, but very useful for us. If you have some more time on your hands, then maybe you'd like to write a short review and post it online on the podcast provider you like to listen to this podcast on. And then we can save you some time if you subscribe to this podcast, because we will then make sure that you have every new episode as soon as it's released in your podcast player. Of course, it's up to you whether you listen to it or not, but at least you have the choice and the convenience. If you enjoy a bit of banter and foolishness, then can I suggest you follow Harry Hill on social media? But you can also follow me, where you'll find that sort of thing, along with the occasional rant at the world of politics. I'm easy to find. In fact, I'm easy all around. As is the podcast, which generally uses the abbreviation MyTCPod. So look that one up as well. You can enjoy listening to the theme tune by searching for Pass the Peas Music or My Time Capsule Theme Tune in my favourite children's picture books, Spotify. At least I think that's what Spotify is. This was a cast-off production for Acast, produced by John Fenton Stevens. And you'll also find a link in our description to the children's theatre group that this podcast sponsors, Viva. Have a look at their website. You may want to help to support them. Uh, They are, I guarantee, a very worthwhile charity doing marvellous work with hundreds of young people, and we are very proud to be associated with them. That's Viva. Have a look at the link. Right, before I leave you, let me explain my rather hyperactive manner of late. Yes, I know you may not have noticed it, but it's been very concerning as far as I'm concerned. So actually, I went to the doctor. Mm. Yeah, sounds like a setup for a joke, doesn't it? But no, seriously, I went to the doctor and I said, I'm a bit worried. He said, tense. I said, I'm a bit worried. I was a bit worried. I will be a bit worried. I will have been a bit worried. That didn't help at all. Just made me more worried. Bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.